I'm Laura Scappatici, the host of That Good May Become, a new podcast that explores and reveals spiritual experiences in our everyday lives. In a moment, I'll tell you why I think that's so important right now. But first, I'd like to say thank you for being here for this episode. Please subscribe to the podcast so it can reach more people and we can counteract the forces of materialism. I'm actually not really joking about that. Please do subscribe. My spiritual roots run deep with anthroposophy. It's a path of spiritual inquiry focused on practical activities that connect us to our best selves, each other, and spirit. This podcast, however, will include interviews with people from varied spiritual paths and backgrounds. And in this episode, I hang out with Reverend Bonnie Rambob. Her vulnerability, intelligence, and self-knowledge allow this episode to really illustrate why sharing our spiritual biographies, our spiritual stories, is so important right now. We need each other's stories to help us trust our own spiritual story and trust that meaning, depth, and connection are possible. You can check out more about Bonnie in the show notes and her podcast, IrenaCast. If you want to write your spiritual biography or explore it, you can hop over to my website, laurascapatici.com, go to my very first blog, and there's a free little worksheet there that'll give you some prompts on how to write your spiritual story. Thanks so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy this very first episode of That Good May Become. Welcome to That Good May Become with me, Laura Scappatici, where we learn to illuminate the esoteric in our everyday lives. Hey, Bonnie. Good to see you. I'm so glad this is the first episode of That Good May Become, a new podcast that is being launched right now with the two of us. And in fact, actually, I'm going to light a little candle. This is something I like to do to kind of just bring in a little fire element and a little bit of sacredness to the conversation. So I'm doing that right now. People can't see me, but maybe, maybe they heard the flame there. Um, (laughs) So I'm so glad to be with you and I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about you, but because our topic today is spiritual autobiographies, we're going to hear about yours and a little bit about mine and what it means to work with something like that. So right now, you are working as a minister, am I getting that right, at Parkside Community Church? Yeah. Can you um, just say a little bit about the church? What I really love is right across the top of this website where your bio is, there's this beautiful rainbow and it says pursuing justice, practicing diversity, promoting spiritual journeys. I mean, how beautiful and open is that? Thank you. I feel very, very honored to be co-pastor at Parkside Community Church in Sacramento, um, the church is a very progressive Christian community. So we're, we're located in South Sacramento, and um, we believe that uh, Jesus was all about love and inclusion and justice and peace, and we try to do our best to sort of continue the work where he left off. That's awesome. I love how you're saying that. And we're right here um, at Juneteenth as well, which is now a federal holiday for um 
the U.S. And I'm so pleased about that. And actually later, we're going to loop back a little bit to spiritual biographies and race. So I'm pretty excited about that as well. We met in this leadership course with Lakshmi Prasanna, and she'll probably be on the show eventually. But here we were in this international class, and you were basically just down the road, which is super exciting. And then when we had a chance to meet, I learned more about your your path, your uh, Master of Divinity from the Pacific School of Religion at Berkeley, which is super cool. And now your doctoral studies um, in open and relational theology. And I know you also have two kids. So I'm just filling in this picture of your work and the world and how you connect with spirituality and your family and all those things. Because I know spirituality and family is also an area for you. I was just going to say, yeah, it's just a real honor to be here and to be part of this inauguration of this podcast, Laura. I'm so excited for where it will go and how things will unfold for you and the work that you're doing in the world. So thank you. Thank you so much. I guess why don't we just get right into it and talk about spiritual autobiographies and maybe you could just share a little bit about yours. Um, One of the things that is very interesting to me in well, first of all, you were saying, what is a spiritual experience? So how would you even know to put that in the context of your spiritual autobiography? What is a spiritual autobiography? Why would you write it? Um, there'll be good and bad and ugly and beautiful in all of these for all of us, I think. so. I think as I look back, I had a sense of spirit from my very earliest memories of, of being alive in the world. And I grew up I'm fourth generation Seventh-day Adventist. So for those listeners out there who might not know anything about that tradition, it's an American Christian tradition that was born out of the Second Great Awakening in the 1840s in New England, similar to Church of Latter-day Saints and also Jehovah's Witness, uh, Jehovah Witness tradition. Uh, and it, it, it is a, a pretty fundamentalist, dogmatic, traditional Christian, American Christian tradition. So that's the world that I was born into. And um, however, I remember that I had an experience of, of what I, I think, sort of called an imaginary friend. But I, from the time I was three, I was visited by this presence. Um, I called her Misty, and, or she revealed herself to me as Misty. And uh, she was just like in a, she just was around, especially when I was in nature, when I was alone, like in my room before I went to sleep. Um, And it's kind of a wispy uh, person. (laughs) You know, it's hard to put words to that experience. Um, And it, and she was, her presence was more vivid in my childhood. However, she continues to be a presence in my life. Um, so I had this really, really young, and then I also had this religion, this sort of dogmatic religious tradition that overlaid that experience. And as part of my journey, I kind of gave up on, um, the misty presence and sort of traded her or tried to fuse her with Jesus. And this is a very evangelical understanding of Jesus, the Jesus who, you know, you say the prayer, um, and this, this, this exposes some of my woundedness in my own spiritual journey and experience is, is this view that, uh, Jesus is God's son and was sent to die a rather horrific death. And that, 
we're all the cause of that death. And, um, and then the way that you heal yourself or you sort of come together, as you say, this particular prayer with very specific words. And the sooner you do that, the better, because that's kind of the, that's the mode of salvation. That always felt wrong to me. However, I didn't know any world outside of that. So, um, so my own spiritual autobiography has, has these like super beautiful moments and also moments that are really fraught with, um, with like struggle and woundedness and um, hiding. And since then, I have, it was probably in my mid-30s that I journeyed out of Seventh-day Adventism. I followed spirits leading. So I love the the podcast title. The, the theme of the podcast that good may become because that was the experience that I had in my own journey. I felt this like lure towards a goodness that I had known in my early childhood, but had been shadowed. And I just, I just felt it taking me into whole new places and no, whole new understandings of the world. So I followed it with a partner, a husband with two small children they were um, they were along for the ride, and fortunately, they they walked with me, um, and and I followed it out of the church, which was also kind of a severing of my my identity, my kind of earthly identity anyway, and and some ties with beloved friends and family members and so on. So through that process, I then traveled through a spiritual wasteland. Um, Atheism is probably the way that I would describe it now, and 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 it it wasn't a spiritual atheism because I know that ex- that totally exists. It was a it was an absence of God, an absence of presence for like two years. It was really hard, and somehow through a lot of struggle and wrestling, I was able to come to the other side of that and and. Um, experience healing and wholeness in a way that I didn't even couldn't have imagined was possible before. Um, and that led me to <laughs> led me into a call to ministry of all things, right? And so now I am back in church, this time as a pastor. I would never have imagined a woman pastor in my tradition, at least not in any um, formal official sense. And uh, here I am in this very progressive Christian world, serving as a minister and loving every minute of it. Gosh, that is incredible. So from these very like intimate, close, warm spiritual connections with this spiritual, I, I would maybe say a spiritual being or someone might say an angel or whatever, imaginary friend, as you even said, to this very rigid um dogmatic, then down deep into that, you know, question, that deep question and um, resurfacing again, like, and, and in connection, that is so beautiful. I think, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's that's the brief version. I know there's, you know, for all of us, lots of twists and turns along the way, but I would love to hear your spiritual autobiography, Laura. Oh, well, thanks for asking. I mean, I think um, it's interesting that you bring up the childhood experiences and that's one of the questions I have for people around this is usually 
Well, in my experience, most people I talk to have had something happen in their childhood that just felt, so what is a spiritual experience? Something that just maybe felt like there was a sense of something um, like invisible or imperceptible to like regular senses. So like a feeling from, like, I remember being in a tree, um, people that know me know, I talk about this tree a lot, a maple tree. Um, and I just felt like this tree was with me talking to me. It wasn't talking to me, but I was in a, I was in communication with this tree and I would be in this tree for hours and hours, um, singing and playing and all kinds of stuff. And actually when I was in college, um, I had a dream about the tree and my dad called me later that day and had told me he had cut the tree down and put in a driveway. And so here I was all this time later, you know, 20, well, probably like 15 years later, still super connected. So that connection was real. So I think my, um, I wasn't raised with any religion. What I had some intergenerational trauma related to religion on my mother's side, for sure, um, where they went from a very and and not to say anything bad about any religion, but the way that it was carried, yeah. um, she, she it was traumatic for her because they went from a very loose kind of free household to a very dogmatic. You're going to go to hell if you do these things like wear lipstick. This is the example she always gave. Uh, so she basically thought she was going to hell for everything um, and hell was real. And that was that's where you're going. And so that love piece was kind of pulled out for her. Um, and so she protected us, I would say, from religion. So we were left free. Um, and so that's where that connection with the tree came from for me. And I, I just continued to, I also hit an atheism point where when I met my husband, he was, you know, what sometimes people call a recovering Catholic. <laughs> and so he he had been very, very faithful to Catholicism all through his teenage years. And I think when he hit about 19, he was like, wait a minute, is this, is this real? Um, and then I questioned up until then. And I would be like telling him these little experiences I had. We have one story about the bee people. So I was out for a walk and I was thinking, I think about my mom and I was thinking something kind of hateful, like not nice. And I got stung by a bee, like just random. Like I was on a path. I wasn't like in some flower bed or anything. <laughs> and, um, I was like, oh my gosh, see, I should have not been like, that was like a little sign for me. And he's like, oh, what now you believe in the B people. So um, that, that was kind of like his perspective really sort of shut down my spiritual freedom. So it's nice to hear like you had these guides and loving people around you as you, and, and your children and your husband, as you were going through this exploration, I sort of had this clamp down happen and my mom died. So all of this kind of happened at the same time. And then I was like, well, that's it. The bodies, that's it. We're just here. We live, we die. The body goes into the earth, you know, and that's it. It's over. And, uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't get behind it. <laughs> I just couldn't. And uh, so then I kind of restarted. I think um, children can kind of uh, bring that awake again or, or just other experiences. Um, that are, you know, love is an invisible mm -hmm. uh, force in a way, you know, what some of these things that we think, you know, what does invisible mean? It's like all of these things that we sense our intuition um, that all of us, I think can relate to in some way, but it came, so it came back and it came back super strong and so strong that I ended up working for a 
an organization, the Anthroposophical Society in America, based on a spiritual philosophy that's more about spiritual research um, than it is about any belief system. So anyway, this is a little bit of spiritual research that we're doing right now and that we're inviting people to do, right? Hopefully people have a little bit of a sense of what a spiritual experience is or could be. So if they decide to sit down for 15 minutes and make some bullet points about their spiritual biographies and gain that self-knowledge, they'll understand. But do you have any more like examples of what they could be? I, I think I think spiritual experiences um, can sort of come in a couple of categories. <laughs> I mean, not to categorize, but since we're talking about research, that might might be helpful to people. Uh, one is like this like intense sense of connection. Like you, you feel grounded, but you're not alone. Like you're very connected. And I think I think it's a, you know, that experience can be like a wash over somebody. Um in all sorts of times and ways and places. Um, so that's one kind of ex- a spiritual experience. Another is just like, like pure awe and wonder that seems like ex- unexplainable with the usual senses and, and like love. I mean, you're right. Love is, is invisible, but it's such a powerful force. And we all have an experience that we can connect to love So, so yeah, sometimes, you know, whether it's like, I'm alive, you know, that can be awe inspiring or, um, the holding a baby for the first time, or like so many different sorts of spiritual experiences under the category of like awe and wonder at the presence of mystery, things we can't maybe name or understand, um, any other way, except with our spiritual muscle. And then another category is connection, like helping, you know, that the, that good may become a kind of like channeling through one's self, one's hands, one's feet, one's heart, channeling goodness in the world. Um, another like kind of transcendent experience. So, I mean, those are, those are just general categories that might help people sort of hang on to as they think about spiritual experiences in their lives. I love those. And that last one is so, I mean, if you see someone in an act of goodness, like even if it's your, if it's your own children and you see one be kind to the other, that is such a, a powerful thing. So I think in people's, in people's autobiographies, those moments of like service I, I think is a word, another word around it or witnessing service. Um, I mean, maybe courage is another uh, thing that a witnessing of a, a courageous thing. I love that picture, uh, that idea of awe and wonder. Um, boy, it's so important to cultivate that right now. I feel like everything's just kind of handed to us um, and in just a couple dimensions and how, how do we cultivate that? That should be like another episode, I think. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think I think that we're sort of surrounded by this sense of apathy, you know, um, which is, I would say, a rebellion against spiritual energy and forces. Um, totally, totally. I would say, and, and that again, that's another episode: is this rebellion against spiritual <laughs> thinking, spiritual perception, spiritual thoughts, um, that sense of awe, all of that. Um, yeah, it's just the, and I, this happens to me a lot. I'm not saying I'm above that at all. I'm actually in it all the time and trying to work 
trying to work in two places at once. So that material physical plane, and then in that spiritual plane at the same time, I think is what is required right now. I, I think that has to do with this like um, binary narrative crashing. And I think it, I think like spirit matter, like the, the separation is also a binary narrative that probably needs to crumble right along with that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, okay, let's, let's take a little bit of a, a leap. And can you talk about this very interesting spiritual autobiography work you're doing connected to race? Yes, I, I uh, had the privilege um, with a justice working organization in Sacramento called SAC Act, a Sacramento area congregations together. And it's an, an interfaith organization that organizes um, for justice. And um, there were a group of white clergy people in that within the organization that that said, you know, around race, there's work that we need to do together. There's a there's there's work that white people need to do that that is separate from um, the work that people of color, BIPOC people need to do. Um, And doing our work in the same communities as as BIPOC folks could be more wounding than helpful. So we we've sep- we've created this little group and I just led this group through an exercise on writing a spiritual autobiography through the lens of race which is um was really powerful. So it was um more a look at our souls and our spirits in relation to our life experiences around race. That's and amazing. It, 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 yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's ongoing this work and, uh, it has been incredibly transformative. That's uh, okay. So what a way that you framed it because you could be having a very, um, I mean, let's, let me just be extreme just to make the example easier. You could be having a very hateful experience of race or, um, and like just acute racism in your house while being asked to be a very spiritual, you know, God connected person. And so how do you, oh my gosh, how do you reconcile those things and, um, feel your, your spiritual self? (laughs) No that that's, that's not right. I don't know. Can you, can you say a little bit more about, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think this is sort of directed towards your, your question too, of like, is it helpful to have this spirit matter binary? Because when it comes to race, race is all about our bodies. It's also about our spirits. So, so race is that intersection along with lots of other things, but certainly that's a, like a really good example in our times to consider how it impacts um, the lens of race or the the construct of race, which is created by humans, you know, hundreds of years ago, um, is it the impact of that is very spiritual and also very physical, very material. So this spiritual autobiography is asking us to pay attention to both those those physical worlds of our relationships and so on. And then also how it impacted our soul. Um, So, I mean, for, for some people just to even 
come to an awareness of being white, um, that is a spiritual and a physical awareness, you know? So, um, and then how do you write about oneself as a white person, maybe in a white family, inheriting trauma that's associated with whiteness that may go back for generation after generation. And then, and then also inheriting the, um, the perpetuation of that trauma on those people around you that may not be, have the same skin color, be Brown or black or in, you know, um, indigenous or, you know, all these other ways of being human. Um, so yeah, it's powerful. It's hard. It take, it feels really uncomfortable (laughs) to have to use a lens like that. And it's, uh, and we're all sort of dipping our toes in the waters of it because of what it brings up in our bodies and in our spirits. Um, and, and yet, uh, yeah, we're, we're just, we're just trying to muddle through it together. That's, that's amazing. I mean, what, what good work and gosh, I wonder who else is doing that. That's such a, such a unique thing that you're doing and that it's in the context of, um, different faith organizations coming together to do it. What, what's, what's next in that group? Is there, are you going to work with another question specifically or just continue that dialogue or conversation? Well, we, what we do know, I think we're responding to what uh, a lot of anti-racist teachers are telling us right now. And um, most anti-racist teachers, wisdom leaders are not white because we're, we're sort of, we're way behind in coming to understandings around race and, and what they're saying, folks like um, Resma Menachem, who wrote my grandfather's hands and others, um, what they're saying is that we need to figure out how we can create cultures, anti-racist cultures um, that work very hard to uh, surrender to the goodness and combat that generational inheritance that we've gotten as white people that supports racism in us, you know? So we're trying as a little, as a community of clergy who are faith leaders, religious leaders in various communities, we're trying to form that anti-racist cultural culture group with ourselves and then see what happens next. It's a very emergent process. That's good. I I think that's the right kind of process to be in with that work for sure. And uh, just that you're taking it on is so, so powerful. I was just going to ask you a a little more personally with your husband and he's from India. Yeah, he's from India. Okay. And so there were, um, there were systems culturally in place, maybe not in religion, to, or I don't, I don't know, but I know. So I know that he was carrying that too um, within himself, and then coming to a different religion that maybe didn't have some of those systems in place. Like, can you say? Because that's all. That's a really interesting spiritual biography piece too. Um, and that, I mean, how many layers are there to unpack in that? <laughs> so many, Laura. We could be here all day. <laughs> Just briefly, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Rajiv is my is my husband, and he was born in India, in South India, and he immigrated with his family when he was two. 
He was part of that migration from South Asia um, soon after the Civil Rights Act um, opened up the doors. So uh, he, his whole, his family, he's, he's, a, he's also a couple generations down, Seventh-day Adventist. So his family converted to, to Seventh-day Adventism, to this branch of Christianity through missionaries who came to India. Um, so we met in that world. Um, right and uh, and now, you know, uh, but, but there's there are so many layers around that, right? Like h- how how does one decide for another what a, what's the best spiritual way, and how you know how religious colonialism, which I think we're still engaged in in many ways. Um, which feels, which impacts the soul as spiritual colonialism. Um, he's now like, yeah, sifting through all of that. And I mean, the thing that's remarkable about it is we, we made this journey out of that tradition together and we're serving as co-pastors now at Parkside <laughs> Community Church. So <laughs> this, this idea of like soul families, you know, maybe yes. before we're even born, um, just oh, yeah. is making a lot of sense. <laughs> oh yeah. That makes perfect sense with your journey. Uh, totally. I mean, and I think, I think that's also, that'd be an interesting thing for people to include if they do write their spiritual or where, however they review it is this idea of soul families and how, you know, where, where you're born and what family you're born into, and then what family you create or you're connected to. And maybe there are different, um, iterations of that, or maybe there's a through line in it, but that's also, um, an, an interesting part of, you know, the, the, your biography. And I feel like, I feel like we're being asked now to know who our spiritual family is in a way. And mm. sometimes that's actually in our family. Sometimes it's not, but I think it's because there's work to get done. Um, so I think as we find those people, then there's work to get done. Um, again, it's that like, yeah, you you're so bang on about the spirit matter and race being something that intersects with all of that. And um, uh, but same same thing here. It's like you find those spiritual, you find that spiritual family who and the people in it, and then you can bring that work down into the world, whatever it looks like. And it can go back to some of those original ideas we're talking about of service or acts of goodness or what whatever. I always, whenever I'm talking, I always think of the atheist lens. And like everything I'm saying, I'm trying to understand how I would receive some of the things I'm saying. So when I say like spiritual family, I think it's like, or other people would say a karmic group. Um, It's like, who are the people, who are the people you're here with and you're working with all the time? And it can be as simple as that, um, or that you're drawn to, or that like, I met my best friend out here. Um, we didn't meet till we were in our forties, but we grew up about an hour away from each other in Philadelphia. So you find some of these people later in life too, like, like your journey as well with your church. And I don't know, I just, I kind of went on a tangent there thinking about spiritual families. (laughs) I think it's, I mean, that's, that's like one of the things we ask our, our teens to do in my church is to sort of create the spiritual genealogy, because I think it's really helpful before, you know, like they are on this epic spiritual journey, but like, what are they bringing into that journey with them from their, their ancestors? And yeah, you're right. It's bigger than the, than the family of origin. Um, 
but it's, it's, it sort of can start there. (laughs) Well, and I mean, I would even say if we could go like a little further, even like Misty (laughs) is part of your spiritual family. Right. And so, um, I, I wonder, okay, maybe we can, so if we're going to talk about spiritual beings as part of people's spiritual biography, maybe we could just take a minute on this and then sort of start to wrap up. But, um, so you, you in particular talked about Jesus and that I would say from where I'm coming from, that's a spiritual being, um, and that presence. So can you say a little bit more about that? Like your perception of that, um, Jesus and I have had an interesting relationship. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Um, I think, uh, I think it's, it's really fascinating because this is, this is the trajectory of of my experience of Jesus. Jesus was a very physical being. I think that's, you know, in Protestant Christianity, it's all about Jesus as an, as a human divine human, um, who is sort of sent from God in heaven that comes down and takes on flesh and so on, and then lives this perfect life that we all should emulate and, um, and then dies. And it's in the death of Jesus that, uh, that the world is saved. Um, but I thought of that in a very physical way. And that's the way it was taught. I think that's the way most evangelical fundamentalist Christians see Jesus. Um, and then, but th- so, so then Jesus was like divine human, um, in a, in a really restrictive way in that world. And then I lost Jesus completely. Like I, it just, once God didn't make sense anymore, then Jesus definitely didn't make any sense anymore. And I started learning about all these other traditions and all these other, uh, spiritual beings in the world. And so Jesus's superiority place of superiority, just totally went into the trash. <laughs> and I was kind of like good riddance. He's a guy. I'm a I'm a I'm a girl, you know, <laughs> like how am I supposed to relate to Jesus anyway? Um and then Misty became a really a, a, a stronger presence during that those those times. But there was a period when I didn't have any spiritual connection. And it's I I don't know how to I've often tried to put words to that and, and uh, it's so hard to describe. I think the mystics call it like a dark night of the soul and um, St. John of the cross is it. He writes about that. And I'm sure there are others too, that you know about that write about this like period of just absence. And during that, as I was going through that, I remember I kept reaching out for spirit, but there was no, reciprocal response. And I remember just having like this moment of um, just like, I was, I I was like, this is your last chance. You know, if there's any, and it was a really stormy night and I was looking at the sky in Placerville, believe it or not, when I was living there. And, um, and it was, and I was looking at the sky and I was just like, really, this is like your, this is the best you've got. I was taunting you know, spirit, (laughs) this is, this is all you've got. Like, this is your best show. Well, it's pretty lame. That's basically what I was saying. And, um, and I, and I stood out in the rain and just was like becoming drenched. And, uh, I kind of just fell 
asleep in the mud in my front yard. And uh, it was when the sun broke through the clouds the next morning and I heard birds singing and I, I, I sensed, it was a sense, a sense, not through my physical sensation, but I sensed um, like laughter in the trees. So the, your tree story really deeply resonated with me. And it just was like, I just felt this, hmm, I, maybe I shouldn't give up yet. And through that, then Jesus appeared again. <laughs> it was like oh, on the other side of it. And, and, but now Jesus is, um, Jesus is a guy. Yeah. Jesus did great things and is, is worth paying attention to in that way. But now I've come to understand that Jesus sort of channels this like Christ. Um, I still don't, I, I still need to work on language around it, but it, Jesus channels a kind of light and love in the world that, I can get behind. Yeah. And I want to know more about. And it's kind of the it's the story and it's the path that I've inherited. So I'm still working with it. Yeah, that's I mean, what a beautiful thank you for sharing like the dark night of the soul story because I think we all get there. Um and I think I don't know, I think the, another word for it is like the abyss, right? Yeah. And then I feel like in I feel like so, so you, you, you've kind of like, you're in the, the mud, like you're literally like in the mud on the ground. And then, and then the presence of the sun appears. And to me, that's like where I relate, um, you know, in my spiritual biography with nature, like you're talking about the laughter in the trees and then this presence of the sun, like this thing that just gives and gives and gives life and gives life. And you imagine waking up and that's not, there. I mean, that's the whole thing of life, but something happens. I think I'm, I would just want to talk about because depression and things like that might be part of yes. people's spiritual autobiographies. Absolutely. Um, sometimes it's a doorway and, and sometimes it's just, you know, I mean, it's always terrible, but, um, but I feel like for me, what the spiritual perspective does is cause I can really get in my head and not be able to get out and not be able to see outside myself. And for me in, in moments of depression, that's where it's been. I can't see outside. And you know what it's like to be a teenager. That's what teenagers experience like so deeply. It's so hard to see outside your own um, space and your own mind. And so that those birds chirping and that light coming down, it was outside of you. Right. And so it's an experience of something outside of you and how important, <laughs> so mm -hmm. how important and, um, awakening. Mm -hmm. It's so fun talking with you. I feel like we're kind of all over the place, but hopefully people are getting a sense of that's what it's like with a, with the, a spiritual, a spiritual biography when you're, or an autobiography, whenever you're doing this, and it doesn't have to be like a thing, um, that is pages and pages long. I feel like when I posted this a few times, people think I'm asking them to write like a memoir, like a book, like a novel. And I'm like, no, mine for me was like two pages. Um, but now that I have the awareness of it, 
I like other little things get filled in. Like while you were talking, while you're sharing your story, I was remembering some other experiences I had. Um, I remember being a teenager and being like, well, I don't believe in God, but I do believe in Jesus because that's a person, you know, (laughs) this very like rational explanation of what that is, you know? So all those little things are, are pieces of this and those dark nights of the soul and yeah. What, what else do you want to share before we go? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think our, our understandings of ourselves, I, I love your phrase, self-knowledge is knowledge. And uh, the awareness of that knowledge is evolutionary, right? It's, it's uh, and it changes it. Our awareness is change, but then the stories that we tell change, there's like new shapes to them. And that's super exciting. Then that knowledge can just like you're doing with the leaders in in your, you know, community. It's once they have that knowledge so of themselves, so much else can happen in the community. So that self knowledge is in service to the community, mm-hmm. um, and understanding the wounds in your spiritual biography or the highlights or the things you might want to get back to, like maybe you want to go hang out with trees more. In any case, when you need healing, maybe a tree is the thing you need, you know, um, or connection, whatever. But yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm so glad we had a chance to talk today. Wow, we covered a lot of ground and a lot of stories. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bonnie, and I'll talk to you again, no doubt. Bye. Bye.